Hey everybody, and welcome to the Fart Fetish Podcast once again. We have another great episode with a guest today, so let me get the intros out of the way so we can jump right into it. The Fart Fetish Podcast is available on almost all major podcast platforms and releases episodes monthly, usually the first Friday of the month. You can also visit fartfetish.info where you can find the podcast and some informative resources linked there. There's also a link to request an invite to the Discord server on the fartfetish.info website. Come join and talk about the fart fetish with us there. Also, I've been posting polls to my Twitter, at Closet Fetishist. So join in on the conversation somewhere, anywhere. And of course, if you want to be on the show, you can always reach out to me. My email is aproctophilia at gmail.com, and it's linked on fartfetish.info for your convenience. And that's it. I'd like to now introduce Raz, who is a fart fetishist here today to share his perspective on the fetish in his experience and some research he's done into some of the psychological and biological reasonings that explain that perhaps this fetish isn't so odd after all. That's today's episode on the Fart Fetish Podcast. At his request and for his privacy, I have altered his voice for this interview. Thanks very much for being here, Rez. Why don't we start with a little bit about yourself and and what this fetish looks like for you? Like, what aspects and themes do you kind of enjoy around this fetish? Well, for me, it, it really focuses... The main thing it focuses on is around one thing, which is virility and masculinity, I guess I would say. I'm sorry, what um, was the first word you said? Like virility. Oh, like, virility, okay. Like, like being masculine and just social and out there that's always kind of been attractive to me like even back when i was a kid i didn't have i wasn't very social when i was a child i i didn't have a lot of friends and the concept of having friends and being social and like being a i guess being like one of the other boys you know just being a masculine boy just out there social with his other friends that wasn't that was attractive to me but that wasn't what i was and you know the kink at least you know i'll get into you know like the farting as part of this but it was always such a taboo thing that males like only did around each other you know it was like a bonding kind of thing it was like friendship kind of thing like it was kind of taboo for girls to fart at all, and males could really only do it around other males. Um, and as a male kid with no friends who, like, really is insecure in himself and wants to socialize with other guys but doesn't know how to, something like, you know, farting, it can, you become attracted to it because it's such a male bonding thing, and that's something you want so badly that you just feel like you don't know how to do. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. It's it's very isolating because you know it's such a taboo thing and it makes you very insecure in yourself. For sure, for sure. Have you found any kind of um, community among among people who do enjoy your interest or, or maybe have done it with you or, or something to that effect? Um. Yeah, on FetLife, there's a whole community of people who like it on there, from my area of the country, um, all areas of the country, actually. There's some dating apps have 
preferences for it. I'm not really a dating app person anymore. I was, but not anymore. But if you're into dating apps, there are some that have filters for it. Like it'll say farting, proctophilia. I mean, among a plethora of other fetishes that people are into. Twitter has a, a good community of people there. I like Twitter because you get to know the people. Like you get to have like one-on-one -on -one conversations, even though it is hundred and something characters. It's like you're interacting with them. You're getting to know them on a friend-to-friend -friend basis. Oh, and Tumblr was really good for that back in the day too. Tumblr was really good for that back in like the late tens when poverty was still out on there, but now it's off. It was it was a good place to interact with other people and find people. But most of that stuff is online. That's the thing. It's not really like in-person groups. That's hard to find, in my opinion. Yeah. What What was the last thing you said about uh, the unfortunateness of it all being online? Yeah, because it's online. If If you're a person that craves the more like physical connection, like you want like to hug somebody, kiss somebody, or even not even sexually, you just want to like go out to dinner with somebody, ro romance. You know, you want to. Do you know go to a movie with somebody? You want to go traveling around the world with somebody on your like right by your side. Like if you're a more physical person, the online stuff is not going to be as satisfying. That's just me. I know a lot of people like the online stuff, and I do too. But I like it more of as like a beginning thing, and then you know I want to transition into like being either friends or a relationship. You know, like well, I want to see each other in person if I'm like looking for somebody to share it with for sure for sure i hear you i hear what you're saying there so you're you're more uh you more gravitate towards the uh like uh male on male farts uh segment is that what i'm, I'm uh understanding yeah i am bisexual pansexual i really don't label it i like both but i would consider i, I like both sexually you know i can easily get a heart on to either a man or a woman but i like men romantically like i i couldn't I, I i my drive to like if i were to marry somebody it would be a man i see myself living happily ever after with a man even though i can get it off sexually to both so I, that translates into the fetish also i am attracted to women just not their flatulence men i'm attracted to all of them and their flashlights. It's a very bonding thing that I can, that makes the being with a male just something that I would prefer, you know, as a, as a, like a, as a life companion, a life partner, so I would prefer a male. For sure. For sure. Do you know, do you know when and, and like how you started having these, uh, these fart fetish thoughts? Like what are the origins of them for you? Back in elementary like I said, you know, I really wanted friends that I didn't have a lot. And because I was an outcast, I was a nerd. My interest in just my interest didn't line up with the, that of the other kids. Back then, I was insecure about it. Now I embrace it. You know, I don't want to be the same as everybody else. But back then, as a kid, you don't know any better. So you're insecure about it. And, um, you know, just walk like I was big into entertainment and you know, just like watching things like Scooby-Doo and like there's a lot of like male flatulence and it's in a bonding friendship kind of way and people are laughing and, and they're enjoying it. That was 
I like that. I like things like that, but not necessarily sexually yet. That didn't come until puberty. When I was like six, seven, eight years old, I wasn't thinking about it in a sexual way. It was just a, like a male bonding way. It was like funny. It was something I wanted to do because it was just a relaxing thing that men could do together that wasn't taboo. Because, you know, it, it was taboo if you did it around women and it was taboo if women did it. But when it's around other guys just in a friendly setting, it's fine. So I would, ha- you know, I had the fantasies about that kind of stuff in like a non-sexual way. But then I hit puberty and it just be- it became sexual. And I I wasn't really perplexed about it. It was just something that, you know, I enjoyed that I didn't really see anything wrong with it. And then I found there was an online community and I was like, oh, so this must be common. So that kind of like eased my way like into accepting myself for it. And then I, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a very, I was a nerd growing up, but like that was a benefit to me because I read a lot about stuff like paraphilias and fantasy reading about like people like Sigmund Freud, other psychiatrists who studied this stuff and you know even if they found these fetishes and paraphilias disgusting to their own taste they acknowledged that it was kind of just a normal aspect of the spectrum of how sexuality can go for humans they they knew that it was just sexuality especially for men sexuality is very spontaneous it can go a variety of ways and even if they're personally disgusted by it and they might put those biases into there. They acknowledge at the core that, you know, it's just, it's harmless. And um, they like it, then it doesn't inhibit on their ability to be moral citizens of society. They just need to be educated about harm. And that really helped me just solidify my acceptance of it. Just seeing how even just old sexologists described paraphilia and even just researching how what paraphilias are and how is like it, it led me to ask myself is the paraphilia should it be considered a paraphilia because if a paraphilia is a sexual you get sexually aroused by something abnormal well what is abnormal abnormal you know differs for different people and it differs relative to people's biology and people's environment and it kind of led me on a quest of like a to like scientifically dig into it nice nice is that you you mentioned wanting to come on the show to to speak about uh specifically your story would you say that's that's uh essentially part of it the the origins and the uh where you've come to now with it yeah definitely um I just consider myself a normal person, really, just with a sexual kink that most people nowadays would consider abnormal. Um, but I, you know, I do think it's natural. I just think it's a natural part of a natural part of the range of human sexuality, um, especially when you consider pheromones. Like people, men sweat, women sweat, and both genders give off different pheromones that attract people to them. It said that men give off pheromones that like attract gay men and straight women and this opposite for 
women. They give all pheromones that attract straight men and lesbians. And, you know, it's not really uncommon to be attracted to how your partner smells, you know, like that's not really something that is so taboo. It's kind of normal to like, like smells. It was like the outer smell of, of like your partner. And I just thought to myself, like, if it's acceptable for, you know, women to say, oh, I like my man's scent or for men to say, oh, I like how my woman smells a perfume cologne, like, it's acceptable to like the outer smell of someone you're aroused by, but the inner smell is considered taboo. Like the inner smell coming from their gut bacteria, which is still a part of their biology. It's no less a part of their biology than sweat is. And I was watching a YouTube video by these two sex educators and one of them put it really good. He said, people who have a prodophilia may be just attracted by your inner biology, like your you know, how you are on the inside, your inner scent, which is not that abnormal if you think about it from like a wider sexual viewpoint that, you know, yeah, we are attracted to how our partner smells. That's a normal part of sexuality, like deep into our gut and our biology. And everybody has different bacteria in their gut, so everybody's biology smells different. So for me, you know, my attraction to flatulence it's only towards guys that I'm already attracted to. Like I'm not attracted to like everybody's flashing. Like I have limits and there are some, like I said, women, you know, not really fond of their flashlands. Men who I'm not attracted to, I'm not really fond of their flashlands. You know, it's, it's only men that I am attracted to. So it just combined with, you know, it's not like an intrusive fetish that like everywhere I go, I can't stop you know, being aroused with flatulence, but that together with, you know, scientific research on pheromones and I think it should be like reevaluated. Like is it really that abnormal or atypical of a fetish if you think about it from just like a broader viewpoint? Absolutely. It's an interesting thought, which you actually <clears throat> I want to come back to this in a minute, but you actually wrote about um, a, you wrote a blog post that you wanted to uh, have posted on the website. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and and what um, talk a little bit about the the theory and the idea you have here? Yeah, um, a lot of that blog post was really inspired by a book that I picked up from Amazon. It's called Perv the Sex. I think it's called Perv the Sexual Deviant in Us All. It's a really good book. It's by an American psychiatrist. Yeah, he's a psychiatrist. His name is Jesse Bering, B-E-R-I-N-G. That's his, how you spell his last name. And it was a very eye-opening book. It was kind of like the cherry on top of like all my years of just researching this scientifically. And um, he, he specifically believes that paraphilias and fetishes, they should not be judged by discuss how much disgust they cause us and you know i agree with him i think some fetishes are more accepted in mainstream you know sex culture because they don't cause an ick factor but the ick factor is subjective to each individual brain each individual mind so you can't really judge a paraphilia by an ick factor because that's subjective you know everybody has their own side of the story What's trash to you is treasure to another person and vice versa. So he thinks that they should be 
judged by something objective, which is do they cause harm to the person who has the fetish or anybody else? And and that's what I I agree with. Um, I feel like proctophilia falls into that category of is it atypical to most people? Yes, but to the ones who have it, it's not. And our opinion matters just as much as theirs. So it really shouldn't be judged as an abnormal thing. You know, it's a natural, it's a natural part of, you know, the human system. And going back to the pheromones, like I said, those are just inner pheromones caused by the bacteria going on in your gut. It shouldn't, why is it weird to be aroused by that? But it's not weird to talk about how much that hot guy smells good because he sweats a lot. Pheromones are in play in both. So what's so strange about it, yeah. out there about it? Yeah, that book is, that, and that book cites a lot of scientific sources. Scientific papers are quoted. If you're a fan of psychology, sexology, just, you know, anything having to do with the mind and sex, and I, I really recommend that book. It's, it's a really good book. And it talks about the Kinsey scale of sexuality and how in the 40s, Alfred Kinsey um, reported that a lot of a lot of men actually have more out there sexual, a lot of heterosexual men, men that label themselves heterosexual, they have a lot more interest in like alternate, like sexual, what they viewed back then as like alternate sexual like arousals, which included homosexuality. And obviously now it's been reclassified, it's not an illness anymore. But back then they unfortunately viewed it as such. He caught that this was kind of, this wasn't really a perversion. This was kind of common in the like general male population, you know? Like this wasn't like a sickness. This was like, like this is it's kind of a spectrum that any male can be on and a lot of males are on, but don't really want to admit it. And they're kind of hiding it from the rest of you guys. So anybody could be on this spectrum. So he was kind of like warning people, like not warning people, but just saying like, stop being prejudiced because, you know, more men are like this than you think. Not really that weird. I completely agree with that. It might gross people out. And the author, he says something in that book that I really, like I encourage everyone to pick it up, but this is like, this is what I'll say about it. It's on Amazon if you want to pick it up. He says, if anybody, if any one of us go back into our adolescence or our like early 20s, sometimes there's, for most of us, there's things in there that we got off to that we're not really proud of. We can look back on as we're adults and we're like, yeah. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. So the judgment behind paraphilias and attractions and arousals, the things that we find weird, it's not really warranted because we all, I mean, it goes back to the title of the book, Perv, Deceptual, Deviant in all of us. We, we all probably have a moment in our lives where we can, where we have not and aroused by something that now we look back and we're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. But that's not to say that we were wrong for that. It's to say that the judgments are wrong. And that, like I said, everything is, sub everything is subjective. What one person views as gross, another person might not. And it really depends on the culture, the culture of where you are and what time you're in. And we, should, we, we really need to start looking at things from a more holistic perspective and see that, you know, some things just 
are for people, some things aren't, but it's all subjective and everything should be, you know, respected as long as harm isn't being caused, like mental harm, physical harm. Yeah, it's a natural thing that I think should just be viewed as viewed as a natural thing. And, you know, I think a lot of it does have to do with the taboo of just flatulence in general. And how it's, you know, out there and how, you know, it's loud and smelly. But to me, that really, that can be attractive in a way, if you're looking at it from a pure point of it just being a very masculine act that shows virility, you know, that you're ready to go. If you can see it like that, it becomes more easy to understand why people are attracted to it, especially, you know, women and gay men when, you know, by men, people who are attracted to people who are attracted to men and masculinity in general. It would be easy to see why they would be attracted to that. If you look at it from a purely like scientific point of view, I guess. And and the heterosexual side too. If you're talking about men being attracted to female sides, I think the same thing. For sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Would you extrapolating from your Theories. But speaking of which, I encourage anyone to, if not pick up the book, at least read the blog article on on fartfetish.info. It is very interesting. What I'm extrapolating from that is, would you consider like uh, a smell being a very uh, important aspect for you in the fart fetish? Or is there other aspects that are equally important? Smell, definitely. It's a very intimate thing. You really only show people that side of you if you're really close to them, because you know, it does smell, it does stink. So you really only do that around people who aren't going to judge you. And this is funny. A lot of, I think this was reported on that scientifically, a lot of people like the smell of their own farts. And I just find that funny because, you know, that's true for a lot of people. I know a lot of people say that the smell of their own farts, they really don't mind when they're asking light. So, you know, if you're attracted to your partner, I assume that it would wouldn't it be weird to be attracted to their parts either? Don't you agree? Yeah, it makes it makes it it, it definitely follows uh, logically. So yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So smell is a big it's a big factor for me. Um, I guess the guy himself. I don't really have a preference with men. Like I like masculine men, feminine men. So just men in general, and just the social aspect of it. I, I, I like the social aspect of it. I like, you know, the the idea of, you know, just men being around each other and being manly and not caring. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very, like, fiery, zesty, you know, act that I think, you know, looking at it from, like, an outside perspective, yeah, it, it is something that can be attractive. Just the masculinity of it, you know? That's what this is for me, my personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you, uh, maybe this is a dumb question, but I was curious um, just in terms of, I don't know if logistics is the right word, but like, I I think in your, in your blog article, you wrote that uh, it's an attraction to the, the health of a person, but, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, I believe the implication of a, a healthy gut would thus produce uh less smelling farts as in like a healthier person or someone on a healthier diet uh, healthier hygiene both of these things uh would produce farts that didn't have as much 
odor. Is, is that your experience? Is it just maybe it's not that they're odorless, it's the odor of the specific person, like their specific gut, even if it's healthy or not? Like what, what do you have, do you have any more like uh, digging in on that? I feel as, as for the health of that person, yes, I, I do agree with that. I feel like, well, everybody, I feel like everybody's flatulence thinks to a certain degree. But as you said, like eating certain unhealthy foods can make it very like pungent, like very smelly. I think eating certain foods, certain foods like rich in fiber will make flatulence more common because of the way it interacts with the gut. Fiber, you know, it's also good for your heart. And, and like every, like everybody has different bacteria in their gut due to their own individual diet, but also due to their biology. So how a person, how a person's flashing smells is like, I guess like a combination of those two, their diet, which is like a, which is a choice and their biology, which isn't. So it can be a combination of both. It can be. In my opinion, being attracted to a person's flatulence can mean you're attracted to either, you know, their healthy lifestyle, how they eat, how they exercise, and the bacteria that, the good bacteria that forms in their gut as a result from that, or just their own individual biology, you know, just how they smell on the inside due to the bacteria they've been given from genetics. So it's a combination of both, in my opinion. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I don't know. You, you seem much more well read on on it than I do. So I was just curious as your, uh, your, your views on that. I want to jump back to uh, what we were talking about earlier, but in a different way. What, what pushed you to want to come uh, forward and and talk today? Because I, I know you, you reached out to me, um, and said you, you really wanted to, to share it and, and, and come on. And I was just curious what, um. Like, what was that feeling? And, and maybe what, what do you hope to, to uh, be on the other side of this uh, conversation, perhaps? Yes. So, well, the real motivation for me wanting to come on was just to make a difference and let everybody know that they don't really have to hide part of themselves. And they don't have to hide this shadow aspect of themselves because it's not that... See, I feel like a lot of isolation due to sexuality stems from viewing it as such an abnormal thing that only a minority of freaks and perverts are attracted to. When, you know, if one reads a lot of these, you know, articles and books by, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists, a lot of like these abnormal and atypical sexual perversions or fantasies are quite common. It's just, but like, like I was saying, we should judge them by the harm that they give out to society, not necessarily how disgusting they are. If they're just, if they are considered disgusting to a to a majority of people, but they cause no harm, let it be. And the people who have that paraphilia will grow up to be healthy. If they are just let to be, and if they are just let be and let them express their their fetish in a way that is not judged so my my real motivation for coming on is just wanting to let people know that you're not that weird like you might feel weird you might feel like oh no one has this 
this weird arousal, but sexuality is a very complex thing. I would encourage a lot of people to read into it and read into like scientific journals about it, books about it from psychologists and you know people like Sigmund Freud, who he had a lot to say about certain things. And I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but he actually was like an early gay ally. Um, he actually wrote a letter, I feel like in the thirties, explaining how homosexuality is not an illness. It's not a vice. It's not a degradation. Those are his words exactly. It's not an illness. It's not a vice. It's not a degradation. In fact, many people who are homosexual are very intelligent. He named Leonardo da Vinci, who might've been gay or bisexual. He definitely was attracted to men, but we don't know if he was gay or bisexual. Michelangelo was um, homosexual. So the real motivation for me coming on was to tell you, you're not that weird. If you have this paraphilia, you're not that weird. And weirdness and atyp- and being atypical in, in sexual manners should only really be a problem, an issue, an illness, if it's causing you or somebody else great distress then you should get it checked out. But if it's just something you happen to enjoy that causes no harm, then just do it and have fun. It's not that weird. Things are relative. Paraphilias, atypical sexual fantasies, it's all subjective. So you look at it from a holistic point of view, it's not that weird. So I just want to let your listeners know that, that they're not some kind of freak and that sexuality is very complicated. And educating yourself about it and looking into it um, from a scientific point of view, it'll make you feel better about your own paraphilia because you won't feel like a freak because the same people who are criticizing you and calling you a freak probably have gotten off the stuff in the past that they're not proud of. It's very hypocritical. The the judgment is hypocritical. I think education can help that. So that's my, my purpose for coming on. That's a great purpose. That is, uh, I appreciate you you saying all that. And yeah, I just, all I can really say is like, uh, like in terms of the United States, like uh, as sexually free or, or promiscuous as, as people think it is here, it generally, um, it's still pretty, uh, Puritan in many cases. I mean, nudity isn't even really as acceptable here, uh, as it is in other parts of the, uh, other parts of the world. So, uh, there's a lot to to go forward with in terms of like sexual freedom. But what I wanted to say too was people are really, uh, maybe just in the United States, maybe all over the world, but people tend to be very set in their ways. So you talked about the past with like uh, before homosexuality was more common, you had these advocates uh, who were, were willing and brave enough or, or just like of the mindset to actually fathom it and think about these things as being uh, natural and, and possible. Whereas I think we're in that place for uh, fart fetishism and I'm sure other paraphilias and kinks as well is that people are starting to realize like this is okay to have it's not you're not a similar to how people like vilified and 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 worse to to homosexuals in this country maybe around the world like it's I'm not saying that kind of ostracization is going to happen with with paraphilias but you do get the sense of like, if you're talking to people outside of, of kink communities or kink understanding, 
they're very much uh, closed off to it. They're very, they're much more willing to be judgmental about it and have strong opinions about it, even if they're not well read on the subject. So I think sexuality, like people are willing to accept like science discoveries when they're like, oh, look, it's a new, um, it's a new butterfly. We found a new species and people are like, yeah, that's cool. Then you're like, oh, we, we found this, this, uh, this uh, lifestyle, this sexuality that's actually acceptable. People are like, nah, that's weird. Uh, that's not cool. Like, like I don't, I don't see how that's normal. So how can that be? You must be wrong scientists. I'm sorry. It's like, no, like things can change in, in the paradigms that you understand. It just takes stretching your mind to do so. What one other thing I'll add is uh uh the 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 few people in our historical context that we know of that did talk about farting. Um we have, you know, the the Benjamin Franklin example as I as I have on the website as with the uh James Joyce example as well. Like Stephen King's example that was a little more like cruel and and not like not uh consensual uh having his little babysitter like fart on him. But at the same time uh, it's it is nice that he was able to at least talk about that experience and be brave enough to share that um without uh without fear of I guess uh being ostracized or being judged for that. Like something he didn't even have control of. Yeah, yeah, I read I read those on your website, and you know it amazed me how many how many, especially men. It's really common in the male community. Um, there are some female ones, but I feel like it's more common with men that, like historically, that you know have like written about it and not been ashamed to talk about it. Even I think it was, I I believe it was most Mozart. I feel like he had, <laughs> I I believe he had like a dirty sense of humor also, and he. I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he wrote a parody song. Like it was like a complete parody. Like, cause he just had a real dirty sense of humor. It was called like, lick my, lick my ass or something like that. I believe that's correct. Cause I, I know he did, he did have a really like vulgar sense of humor and he would like write parody symphonies and stuff like that. So if you can find that anywhere with a reliable source, then let me know. But I do remember seeing that. Interesting. I just I googled it real quickly, and and a Wikipedia article does come up. I know Wikipedia is not the most uh, reliable, but it it seems like it's possible. I have to look into this more. I have not. I feel like I've maybe heard this in passing, but I didn't think about it at the time. But yeah, uh, lek lek. It's in German. Lick me in arsch. So yes, so yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it uh, there is an article you 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 might have come on something that I haven't uh, I haven't uh, realized and and put on. I have to make a note to add that to the website because that is actually very interesting um, and another historical figure to to add to the uh, list of people who at least are in the periphery of the fart fetish. You have to imagine. Are there are there other fetishes that that need to go with the fire fetish for you to enjoy it like like a uh, ideal fantasy situation? Fantasy, well, I enjoy them in all kinds of in all kinds of ways. Um, whether it's just hanging out with bros in like the locker room and people and a guy rips one, or if it's like more intimate with your lover or boyfriend or husband, I like that. You know, like if it's just like you're cuddling under the sheets, Dutch ovens, like things like that. I actually wanted to ask you a question. Achilles, yeah. Do you have you noticed that this fetish is very popular in other countries outside ours, the US? 
because I've noticed I know this is popular in like very popular in Brazil and like England. Like the, a lot of the men that I see in the community are from those countries. Like it's very popular in those areas of the world. For sure. I mean, I I don't. I only have anecdotal. Like, I mean, everyone. I think most everyone knows MFX or Fart Brazil, as they're often called, um, for their content, at least in the community, anyways. And then the UK is something I heard on this show. I think somebody said they were uh, thinking about meeting, or or at least toying with the idea of of like meeting someone, but because they were in the UK, it was too far. Surprisingly, like the. Analytics for the show indicate that the the U.S. is the most popular um, listenership. Um, I, that could be also a language thing, um, but like even in other la- English speaking uh, countries, the U.S. is out uh, outperforming, um, at least in terms of listenership. Now you could go the other way and say they're listening because they don't have as much um, freedom or 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 um, strength to go out there and actually do it that you have a lot of fetishists in the US that are are fart fetishists and are repressed so they're maybe uh trying to build up confidence trying to hear other people's perspective about this fetish maybe just interested in general but for whatever reason the US is the is the uh is the prime demographic so far that has has come on and listen to the show, um, which is interesting. But I, I do believe that there are probably more people doing the fetish, performing the fetish in different parts of the world. Yeah. Growing up, this might be just like unique to me, but growing up, like Brazilians, like those were the, like if I were to go on, on the internet and look up like, you know, farting rolls like Brazilian men and, um, like a lot of paraphilic, paraphilic fetish stuff would be Brazil. Not, not that there wouldn't be a large percentage in the United States. The U.S. has a bigger population in general, more people here. So, you know, I, I, of course, there would be more people in the U.S. But it seems like, just like you said, it's a, it's a niche fetish in the U.S. For some reason, in countries like Brazil, and this must, like, I guess this is just me going off of what I've seen. But like, it's, it seems to be very popular. There. I was talking earlier about how certain fetishes are considered milder. Like if you think about in the United States, having a foot fetish is not considered normal by any means, but it's a very mild fetish. Like you'll get a little bit weird looks, but you know, it's kind of like a whatever it's deep. People, it's, it's a mild, it's a weird but mild fetish that no one really bats an eye to. Whereas like the propozilia here is like disgusting and it's, it's a weird fetish. Um, for some reason, and this could be like, I could be completely off. So tell me if you agree or disagree. Like in countries like Brazil, it just seems so common. It seems like that's their equivalent of like having a foot fetish. It's like of something that's common, but still weird, quote unquote, paraphilia, just mild. It could be. You could be onto something there. I can't speak too much to Brazil. I can only speak to uh, the the maybe two things worldwide that I can think of, and they're both they both relate to India. Um, one on Facebook, a lot of fetishists or a lot of people who are interested in fetish groups on Facebook are Indian. So uh, there's that aspect. And if I had to guess, based on my own upbringing, it's partly at least because uh, the idea of holding your fart 
uh, for uh, politeness or whatever is really not a thing. So, like, uh, at work, like, you know, my dad will just fart in the office and they don't smell. It's not like it's he's being rude, but it's just like he doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't register to him that that's a weird thing to do because it's not in his where in his culture and his understanding. You know, he's not a, he's not a city guy, but all the same, like his understanding of, of life is just like it would be like burping for most people. Like most people don't like hold back their burps. Some people do. I, I do. But like mo- a lot of people just like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to burp. I need to burp. Fuck it. But people don't feel that way about farting. But in other countries, I believe they do. So it's very possible that the mere exposure to that is how people in other countries start developing fetishes. Obviously not everyone, because not everyone does have a fetish in other countries, but that that's what leads me back to the thought I had in a in a previous show and and uh, yeah I think it's just one other show that I mentioned that I think it the fetish may be inborn that it's not it's something certain people uh, certain biology certain chemicals whatever whatever formed our certain people has you know put that fetish DNA, the fart fetish DNA on their, on their helix or whatever. So, and some people don't have that, but the exposure to it is what leads it to, uh, come forward and be like, oh yes, I do like this. Cause if you don't have that exposure, you'll probably just be like, oh yeah, I like to put, I like to put my dick in an ass or a vagina and that's life because that's all I see. That's what TV shows me. That's what everything else shows me. Um, for the most part, like now it's starting to get a little, a uh, little more flexible. I, I, there was that ass eating scene, uh, in girls. I didn't wa- I never watched girls, but I, I know that scene definitely took, uh, the internet by storm for a day or so. So the, the fact that different sex acts are becoming more prevalent could be a good thing for the United States and other places that are more repressed where people might have exposure to like, Oh, I can, I can eat someone's ass. That's okay. And you, you hear that too. Some people are, some people take a lot of pride in it. You know, there's like, you know, uh, God forbid a man who doesn't eat ass, you know, or something like that. It's like, they, they kind of punk on people who are like, Oh, you don't eat pussy. You don't eat ass. What, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, so I I think that's a good, um, a pendulum swing that is happening. But I agree with you. I think because of the repression of both sex and um, and bodily function in many cases, uh, the United States uh, particularly is pretty stuck up when it comes to both. And then especially if you want to try to put them together, because even listening to other a few other podcasts that have talked about fetish, um, they usually ask the host, it's like, oh, does your girlfriend fart around you? And then often, and it goes both ways. I've heard both like, yes, they do, or no, they don't. But I've heard people be like, um, yeah, you know, my girlfriend goes to the bathroom and farts and I still hear it. And it's just like, ah, that's not okay. It's like, but dude, it's like, this is, this is bodily function. One, she already went to a place where, you know, she's trying to be in private, but you're like, I can still hear it though. It's just like, it's, it's so fucked up in a way that people are, they, people can't be human. Like we've, we've become people instead of like our naked human body selves. And that's not to say like society's wrong for like making us wear clothes. That's, that makes sense. But like the further we stray from what 
a natural human is, I think the harder it is for people to be happy in life. I agree. I agree. It's, and that's why um, I think I mentioned it to you in one of in either in, it's either the blog post or one of my emails. I never really found anything like even like growing up, like I never found it to be like an unnatural thing. It was just a thing that like, like this is something people do. Like, it's just, you know, it's a biological function. I never really thought of it as like something unnatural. If you really think it's like, like, like what is unnatural? Like it doesn't, like, I don't like, just like, just like you were saying, I feel like, yeah, it's, it is in porn. It is in our genetics. And that's why some people have the fetish and some people don't, because some people are exposed to it and that activates those genes that were already in them since birth. And somebody who doesn't have those genes, who's exposed to it, does not develop the fetish. You know, it's why, you know, it exists in some of the population doesn't in others. Like it's just part of the genetic draw that we get for being conceived. And just like homosexuality, bisexuality, you know, being intersex, you know, it's all just part of the lottery of options anybody can get. Asexuality, it's part of, you know, it's, it's all part of the lottery. So it's not about what you get if it, like, disgusts people or not. Because it's like you said, it's a natural thing, and we shouldn't be stuck up about it. Just like I was saying earlier, a lot of people who, you know, act like judgmentally towards people of with atypical sexual interests you know they're carrying a huge shadow with them because they're getting off to things that they think are immoral that really aren't that they're just so stuck up just like you said you know you know in here in some parts of america but yeah i just i just feel like education is key getting to know just not fearing sex or intimacy um like what you were saying earlier about you know that girl who like that guy was like like still ashamed to have her part around him that was like that's your girlfriend you know like if, especially if you want to be in a long-term relationship with somebody you want to marry someone or have kids with someone you want to be like part of them part of their lives and you don't want to deal with their natural bodily functions doesn't make a lot of sense to me no absolutely absolutely have you um we're 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 coming we're coming down to the end but i wanted to ask you uh, have you had any experiences like in in person with this fetish yeah with my ex um which was very was very good that's really only it other than just like seeing stuff online that's the only in person experience i really have with it could could you talk a little bit about how that um how that conversation went or how that experience went or or both she was a lot like me so even if he didn't share the same enthusiasm I had, he understood it from like a logical perspective and respected that. And yeah, he's, he sometimes, you know, would do it around me and I would like it. You know, I feel like he was respectful about it, even though he didn't, he was into it himself, but he just realized that, you know, everybody can have different interests. That's really it. That's cool, though. That's cool. I mean, it doesn't. That's the thing. It doesn't have to be complicated or involved. It it could be very simple, and and you know, it, it's then it's up to the other person how how it goes from there. But like, it doesn't have to be a big like uh, production to admit this. I mean, 
like I've gotten into practice of just like saying my fetish. Like I won't just offer it up, but if people ask me what I'm into, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'll tell them what I'm like and I'll maybe even tell them about the the podcast as well because I mean, I'm 36 years old. Like I, I've spent enough time hiding myself from the world. So if people don't want to accept it, then that's on them. Like I have a, you know, we all have our short lives to live. So if we're we're not living it to the fullest and, and what makes us the most happiest, then then we're missing out. And, you know, whenever you get the 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 confidence to do that is is great you know don't you shouldn't feel like oh i wasted my life it's whatever you whenever you get in it is that's when you get in it but the point is to do that is to take that step and to to find that comfort because you know it's it's it doesn't help you to hide it like if you're if you're gonna you're done with the fetish you want to throw it away then yeah sure maybe maybe that works for you you can you know pretend or not pretend but you can get into vanilla sex or whatever other kind of sex you want to do and and maybe you'll be happy with that but i think for the majority of us who are you know had this from birth had it for a long time whatever we like this this is the this is the way forward similar to to people who and and today but people who felt gay in the past like they felt like they had to hide it too and be secret and and like it's almost like a speakeasy for being being sexual and it it shouldn't be that way but the point is it's not going to get any better for any of us until people do take that step and people do um start introducing themselves um, with this, with this fetish in mind, not introducing themselves, but speak of themselves with this fetish in mind as well as an element, because it's going to take all of us talking about it to, uh, make a change because the more people know fetishists, the more it becomes more acceptable. Same I believe the same thing happened with homosexuality. The more uh, straight people, the more normies knew gay people, the more they're like, oh, oh, this is this is acceptable. That, I know, I know, Mark. He's normal. He he's 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 got nothing. There's nothing weird or 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 like societally unacceptable about him. Like it's cool. And I think that's the push we're or we're trying to make now in 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 kink in general, but specifically me is with the show and trying to to push forward with this um with this fetish yeah yeah i completely agree um like i was saying earlier yeah like education like education just like reading up about this stuff from like scientific perspective um it'll make you realize how normal paraphilias you know are and they're only really called paraphilias because they disgust us they're not normal in the sense of what we're supposed to be supposed to be aroused by but you know, a lot of people in the general human population are aroused by different things, just like you said, depending on your culture. You know, like you said in India, how farting is not considered something that you should hide. So there are more fetish, there are more like apocryphiles over there. You know, like it depends on the culture. So if the majority is like against this fetish, then it doesn't really mean anything because it's just the majority in that culture. If you go to another culture, then it might be more acceptable. And like you said, stigmas will break down and just, just education, just like educating yourself from like a cultural point of view and from a scientific point of view, psychological, you know, just like reading books about it. And just, yeah, it, it'll make you, it'll, it'll allow you to view it as way more normal and natural and just a part of 
the human perspective part of nature i mean nature's ugly nature like and i'm not saying like the property is ugly obviously i'm aroused by it but other people aren't but they think that just because they aren't aroused by it it's unnatural and disgusting and should be shunned but that's just like saying something else in nature should be shunned like everything in nature happens because it just happens and um you know, most of the are not killing people or raping people or, you know, stealing or lying. So they're not doing a lot of evil things. They're just normal people who happen to be aroused by part of our bodies. Did I talk about the gut-brain connection? Uh, we, we touched on it a little bit, but I don't know if you said it specifically. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, tell me a little bit about it? So basically, the tissue that our gut is made out of is, I believe, made out of the same material that our brain is made out of. And there is a system that connects our gut to our brain and the bacteria that is in our gut, whether good or bad, can affect our brain and therefore affect our mental health and how we think and our thought process and how we feel. You know, a blocked up gut or a gut with too much bad bacteria can actually cause depression in people. So I, I also believe that that's something to do with is being aroused just by like mental health. I know that sounds crazy, but like being aroused by maybe their health, their intelligence, something going on in their brain, because obviously farts come from you know, our gut and our gut is that connected to our brain. And that's, that's where the term gut feelings comes from. That's why we say, oh, I have a gut feeling that that's going to happen or that that's this or this is that. It's because our brain and our gut are connected by the same tissue and the same system in our bodies that connects them and makes them interact with each other. And that's a proven scientific fact, if you want to look that up. The gut-brain connection, the gut-brain axis, um, it's called a lot of different things. But if you want to look that up, there's books about it, it's on the internet. It's, it sounds weird, you know, like how can you be attracted to someone's mental health or someone's, how, do you, how does, like, does a fart tell you if someone's mentally healthy? But, you know, it could. Because if that part of your, if that part of ourselves is connected to our brain and what's going on in our brain, you know, psychologically, and our thought process and how we think and mental disorders like depression, you know, that could, that could be a, a factor, you know, maybe attra- being attracted to or being aroused by a fart is being aroused by a mentally healthy person. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that thought. This is this has been a, a very illuminating uh, interview. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I have one more question for you, and then I'll, I'll open it up to if you have anything more to add. But what are your what are your thoughts on the future of the fetish, whether it be just for you or the or the fetish at large, or both? Whatever you have ideas on. I believe as we start getting more comfortable and taboos are breaking, then more fetishes will be seen as just acceptable um because a lot of fetishes and you know paraphilias are really just things that are completely natural but are just not societally acceptable to do in public so that that is very illuminating to me to see that okay this stuff isn't unnatural i just can't do it in public because it's rude like you know burping is considered rude in public but if, if you're in your house you can just burp and no one cares um even public displays of affection like even people don't like that in public. There are some parts of the world, some cultures, people don't like display, like kissing, like even heterosexual couples kissing in public, people don't like. So 
it really depends on the culture. And if we can get people to just break down fetishes, especially like in relation to specifically a proctophilia, you know, I was saying how I consider it a very male fetish. Even, you know, like I saw something on Twitter that said, you know, I think if there wasn't a stigma around farting, like every man would have a proctophilia, straight or gay, because it's just something men are just used to. So I, you know, I don't know if I agree or disagree with that. I'm kind of neutral on that for now, but um, I think that's an interesting thought. Like if that stigma wasn't there, would, like if you remove stigma from sexuality, would more people be, have paraphilias or have a proctophilia? You know, if farting wasn't considered like dirty, would like more people be into it? So yeah, I just think the future of this fetish, it all has to do with the breaking down of taboos and walls and barriers, societal barriers, sexual barriers. And I kind of worry sometimes because in 2022, with all the things going on in the South, like with abortion and LGBT rights, like at least in the United States, the United States is getting a little bit more conservative for my face. And um, I see this change happening in other parts of the world, but the Southern United States is just getting way out of hand. And I kind of, I kind of worry about that when it comes to gender roles and sexuality, because they seem to be wanting to reverse a lot of progressive ideas. And, you know, I'm politically, I'm neutral, but at the same time, I feel I, I have like core values and I feel like certain rights are part of them. In certain countries, I see, you know, the fetish skyrocketing because of breaking downs of conservative old values that don't serve a point. And, you know, some countries are going to get more rigid sexually. Should they? Absolutely not. I feel like restricting sex is restricting a large part of our humanity. And without it, people become oppressed. And repression is not good. It's, it's just not good. And if there was no repression, then we would be living in a happier, you know, society. A lot of people don't want to realize that, but, you know, it is what it is. So. Yeah, no, you're right. You're definitely right about that. It's uh, it's definitely been a uh, interesting, like, my hope is that this is the uh, predictable overreaction to the pendulum doing its its swing to the towards towards more uh, sexual and expressive freedom is my hope. Uh, like, because there's definitely more people working at this cause. Uh, you know, the the show I, I went on, uh, my, my friend's podcast, Ask Ezra, he, uh, his whole kind of thing is, is leaning towards radical sexual acceptance. And my hope is that that idea um, continues to spread because you're right. There is, there's really no, there's really no good reason for for safe sexual repression you know like if you if you're having criminal thoughts that's a different story but like for for just like two consensual two or more i guess two you know partners that are um just enjoying themselves and and enjoy and enjoying what they do in in their own privacy and in their own um you know home or whatever like it that's where we should be. It's it's very surprising that we live in a time where it seems people want to take the step back. But my hope is that's just very 
well-coordinated um, media campaigns and then, you know, the, the, the people that will then justifiably get riled up by that. But I, my hope is that's a uh, loud minority rather than a um, an actual uh, majority movement. I think the polls seem to indicate that, but you never know. You never know with uh, this kind of polling. But all the same, you're you're 100% right. There there's there should be a lot more um sexual freedom, but I and I know you're we're not the only country that isn't that is repressed, but my hope is at least for us, you know, I'm not like I don't wish the world ill, but we can really only control the the and to a minimal degree the world around us. So I, my hope is, you know, this show, other shows, whatever, the the general push of kink and BDSM lifestyle, I hope that'll push people forward into accepting, being more free, all, all of these good things. Like switching roles, you know, no, I, I admire BDSM for, you know, the switching of gender roles, like men forming women's gender roles and vice versa. I, I like that, you know, because it, it loosens the binary and it like allows people to experience the other side and i feel like as a society we kind of need that you know we kind of need the breaking down of barriers and restrictions to an extent obviously you still need restrictions like people can't just do anything like like rape you know that's completely unacceptable under any circumstances but like some like yeah loosen some restrictions and like you know gender roles are one of them so i actually admire bdsm for that yeah no absolutely Raz, I this has been a this has been a great talk, and I'm I'm very very thankful that you you reached out to me and that you came on today. Um, I I think this is going to be a great. I mean, they're they're all every interview has been great, but I really think this one, um, it really helps people to hear other fetishists, other perspective. Every perspective we've had has been unique in its own way. So I appreciate you coming on and 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 sharing that with us. Thanks, Raz. And can I ask one more quick question? Please, of course. Have you um listened to the Hate Poopy podcast, especially their episode with um Frank Vignola? I'm sorry, what was the podcast called? The the Hate Poopy podcast. Uh, no, I haven't heard of it. I'll send you the link after. But they they talk about you know just like toilet health and you know stuff like that. And they had a a guest on who who's he's actually a male um life coach like a life coach for men, and he um. Like he talks about, you know, like farting and how it can actually be healthy for like the young male and everything like that, and how it's a sign of masculinity and virility and healthy masculinity. And uh, I'll send you the link after this after the show. But I, I, it's a really good, a really good episode, and I think you might like it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but definitely send it to me, and I'll I'll definitely take a listen. Maybe it'll go on the site as well, and I'll do a when I eventually get to it. I'll do a analysis because I've been with all these interviews. I haven't actually gotten to do an uh, episode alone um, and talk about it. But I think honestly, people prefer to hear uh, from other people, which I'm not I'm not unhappy about. So I'm I'm glad to do it. But yeah, I definitely will listen to it and see see what I can I can get out of it. I'm sure it'll be very good. Thank you once again, Raz. See you next time.